I'm Kathy. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And I just want to put it out there, like like all good addicts, I'm a procrastinator. And uh, my hair is really white, and I should have dyed it for this event. But they have this stuff women buy. It's like mascara, and you just touch it up. So if I start sweating and the black line starts to come down, if it starts to melt, let me know. Just give me the sign, because it's possible that can happen. Um, what an honor to be here today. I mean, I look at all you people, and I think of so many of you I would love to, to have up here and hear your story. Um, and for some reason, it, it was my turn this year, and I'm just really, really honored. Um, you know, I, you, you want to do a good job up here, and I was really nervous, and I thought, you know what, just be real. Just tell it the way, the way it is, the way it was. And um, I decided that, you know, I'm a librarian, and coming up in a few weeks is Read Across America Day, which is the birthday of Dr. Seuss. And... Um, so I've been doing a lot of Dr. Seuss stuff. I'm going to be the cat in the hat that day. And it's a really big day, you know, for the library. It's like Christmas. And, um, and I was reading Oh, the Places You'll Go. And if, you've, if you haven't had a chance to read that book, it is a lot like our journey in recovery. It really is. And, uh, and there's, I'm going to read a couple excerpts. And he says, I'm afraid, this is an excerpt, it's not the beginning, but it says, I'm afraid that sometimes you'll play lonely games too. Games you can't win because you'll play against you. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone will be something. You'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. There are some down the road, come hither and yon, that scare you so much you won't, you won't want to go on. And, you know, in my great career of drinking and using like so many of us, it started out really fun. I, and I will never forget the fun parts. I mean, it, it was really a blast in the beginning. And somewhere along the line, for me anyway, um, the combination of alcohol and marijuana took me to some places that, you know, I swear to God, I just don't, um, I can't believe that it was me in those positions and me, me doing some of the things that, that I did. And it wasn't like that was me, you know, that was my, my core, that was what I wanted to do. But behind the influence, especially of alcohol, but the combination of the two, um, just put me in some places that, that, you know, were beyond my wildest dreams in a bad way. And I thought I would just share, you know, a couple of the highlights. Um, I don't want this to be a drug log, but I think it's important for uh, especially new people. When you see people in recovery, sometimes you think, oh, they're so normal, and they look like they've got it together. And, and you kind of forget, uh, or you maybe don't know what happened. And, you know, for me, the, I was one of the typical rebellious teenagers, come from a big family, a lot of you have been to my mom's house uh, in Northridge. We did a lot of events there in the, in the early years. But our parent, my parents split up, and our family really had a hard time. The kids, uh, there were six of us, were all really tight, close in age. And we started partying together to kind of, to kind of work through that pain. And somewhere along the line, um, the partying took off in a whole nasty direction. And... Um, and I just couldn't, you know, I, I just couldn't control it. And um, I ended up dropping out of high school. I got a DUI. Um, that was 
back when they were 502s, you'd, it wasn't as bad as it is today, not nearly as bad. I mean, it, the courts kind of intervened and, and asked, why is this kid kind of on her own at 16, out of school, doesn't really live anywhere? And, um, and you know, from that point, things started happening that I just, I just never thought would happen to me. Um, things like I... I found myself, um, I don't know what it is about young people, but we liked partying on the top of things, on the top of hills, on the, you know, dangerous places. So we go to the top of Zelza, and, and uh, one night, I, I don't remember any of it, I, it was a complete blackout. My only helicopter ride, I think, that, you know, in a basket and that whole thing, but I don't remember any of it because I was in a complete blackout. Um, but apparently, I was so drunk, I rolled really far in a ravine and, and woke up in, in intensive care, um, three broken teeth, my hair was shaved, I had a huge blood clot that they were afraid was in my brain. And I just, you know, I remember thinking, what have you done to my hair? What have you, what's going on with my teeth? It wasn't like, what happened? Where am I? And I, uh, that was back when um, the hospital was, was Sherman Oaks, I mean, not Sherman Oaks, but uh, the Canoga Park Hospital on Sherman Way. It was a little hospital. And I was there for 10 days, and I remember people coming to visit me, and, and it was like the drama. People would come in. They were my friends. They figured out a way to party in the hospital. And, and, you know, a guy took me out on the street in the wheelchair, and it was just like, what? You know, today I look at that, and I think, where was my head? I mean, I could have died in this thing, and I'm worrying about how am I going to get the smokeless pipe you know, the pot in my head, how am I going to, how am I going to do this in this hospital? And, you know, from there, you'd think that maybe that would have, like, kind of woke me up. And, you know, of course it didn't. I was still really young. I was only 16. And then, you know, I knew, okay, so you don't drink on hills, don't drink on high places, just try to, try to be sensible in where you drink. But things started happening that today, I mean, it's hard to even tell you, you know, some of the shit, but, you know, my mom, who I love more than life itself, um, you know, she started confronting me about drinking and, and driving and drinking, and, and um, I would run away in and out of the house and stuff, and we got into it one night, and she slapped me across the face, and I slapped her back, and we stood there slapping each other's face, and, you know, I look at that today, and I think, what an asshole child. How, you know, how do you slap your mom? It was just really messed up. But, you know, again, it just, it was just part of what was going on. It didn't matter. Um, there was so many things, you know, that as time went on, I wasn't really seeing what it was doing to me. But it was definitely controlling my life. And, you know, these were the years, the high school years are so important, especially for girls, because you're learning you know, how, how to interact, how to date, all that. And I don't know about most of you, but I was born in 1960, and, you know, my teenage years were in a really bad time. Partying was just the big thing that went on, especially in the Valley. And, and I didn't learn any of those skills whatsoever, none of them, because to me, you know, getting drunk and maybe ending up in bed with somebody was like that was – that's what happened. It wasn't like you'd go out on a date and get to know each other. It was just, I was totally at the whim of, of drugs and alcohol. And, you know, it's, as time went on, I, I, I was working, and um, I worked in a bank. 
and you know I was writing bad checks. It was just I led such a double life. It, it was really, you know, I look back on it today and I think, God, the energy it took to keep up that kind of life, to be just a total pothead at home and doing everything I could to keep the habit going, but to also be working and trying, you know, trying to make it look like I had it all together. And um, and I shared about this at a meeting the other day. Well, you know, sometimes you're going along life and then all of a sudden you remember something and you're like, oh, my God, can't believe that one happened. But there was a there was a man at work who was definitely part of the mafia and he kept a lot of money in his safe deposit box. And all of us at the bank knew it. And I was coming up on a vacation and I, I needed some pot. And I decided that I was just going to ask him on the way to taking him to a safe deposit box that if I could, you know, if he'd lend me a little money. And, you know, this guy, seriously, and, you know, the thing is, it was funny because Mike C. yesterday in his workshop, he talked about your logic is, is just so warped when you're using. It's so self-centered. And to me, he was a means to what I needed. I knew he had money. It was right there. It didn't matter that I was a bank employee and he was a customer. And I asked him, and I remember he looked at me kind of funny, and he said, you know, I'll lend it to you, but if you don't pay me back, there'll be interest. And I said, don't worry, I'll pay you back. And and I, I took that week off. I remember I bought a lot of pot. I never got dressed the entire week. I just... I just, I just got high, you know. I didn't answer the phone. I didn't answer the door. And someone yesterday, I think it was Susan, we were talking about isolation. And she said, did you, I mean, um, paranoia. She said, did, were you ever paranoid? And I said, no, I, you know, it was just isolation. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. If you don't answer your door, <laughs> you don't answer your phone, there had to be some paranoia. But for me, it was just, I mean, that's what, it, that's what I did. That's what I did. And, and, you know, I look at that today and I think that was some really sick thinking, but it didn't seem sick at the time. And I think that's, that's the thing about our disease is, is that whatever starts to manifest in our lives, there's a way that we kind of think, well, that's just the way I am. This is the way I prefer to live. And, you know, it just, it just got worse. It just got worse. And, and you know, as, as a woman... This one's hard, but as a woman, you know, sometimes the places you wake up um, can be can can be pretty eye-opening. And there was there was one time I went to visit my dad, and he had his friends partied a lot, and we partied. I, I can't tell you what happened. I just remember drinking, and I woke up in bed between these two people who were much older than me, with fully dressed with cowboy boots on under the covers. And I remember think, looking back and forth thinking, what am I doing here? And why the hell do I have cowboy boots on? And what the hell? Where's my dad? And, and, and you know, it's funny because the memories, they just kind of dissolve. Like, you don't really remember what happened. You know how blackouts were. It's just like, here I am and shit, what happened? And I don't think it was anything inappropriate, but... It, it was a it was a very strange way to wake up, and you know. And even then, I just thought, so you know, just take it easy. Don't drink so much. Um, another night, I came home and I was in a blackout, and I I'm not sure what happened, but I woke I woke up to a you know a knocking, and this man was getting ready to go to work, and there I was in the back seat of his car sleeping, and he said, really in a in a really mean voice, he said, "Do you always sleep in strange people's cars?" And he was right around the corner from my house. But 
you know, I, I don't remember getting there, but I remember I needed probably some warmth, and I found a car. And I remember just scurrying away, and I felt, you know, I felt like a cockroach, just lower than life. I mean, lower than the lowest form of life. And, you know, but even then, it, it didn't stop. And finally, um, when I was 23, I got sober in October 21st. Um, 1983, and I drank one more time and changed my sobriety date to three years later. But but that night, October 21st, 1983, was was the night that I will never ever forget. And and you know it was like it was last night. I think all of us, you know, when we hit our bottom, when we really really surrender, that that night, that memory, that day, whatever it was, will never leave us. And um, and I, I'm not like a suicidal type person. I, I'm just not that way. But that night, I had switched jobs, um, so I, the money wasn't coming in, and, and I was just freaking out. I just did not know how I was going to get get money to to get high. And you know, I know today that was God's way of making the bottom happen. And um, I just couldn't finagle it anymore. And I was I was driving my car, and some of you might know the 118. Simi Valley going east, and I don't even know what I was doing out there, but I remember just crying, 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 and just that feeling of I cannot go on, but I cannot imagine ever changing the way I live. It's the worst place to be, and I know a lot of you know what I'm talking about. It's like, I can't do this anymore, but God, I can't live sober. What the hell would that look like? My life is over if I'm sober, but it's over if I'm not sober, and it's just the worst place to be. And I remember just, there was such a huge part of me just saying, just whip that wheel, go, just do it, you'll go, that's it. There's a cliff on the side, a bunch of rocks, and I thought, that's the way. And there was this little voice, and, you know, today I know it was God, a little voice that said, maybe, you know, maybe your mom can help. You know, that same woman who I slapped her face over and over, and, you know, she worked a lot, she was rarely home, but that night I decided, just go there. Something told me go there, and I went to her house, and I knocked on the door, and I just, I don't know if it was a breakdown, I don't know what the hell it was, but I remember saying can't a thousand times. I just said, Mom, I can't do this anymore. I am fucked up. I can't pay my bills. I can't live sober. I can't, you know, can't, 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 can't. It was just, and I remember her sitting there. The room was kind of dark, and she was just looking at me, and she said, you know, I will, I'll never forget it. She said, I will be damned if my daughter's life is going to be taken by drugs and alcohol. And uh, she got up <clears throat> on a line called Be Sober, you know. And today I think, shit, a phone call, is that really all it took? But that's what it took. And um, when Bill shared last night, which I just, I love hearing Bill, but when he shared about his first meeting, I thought, that, that's so funny because it was so close to mine. You know, we, I went to, uh, it was called the Valley Club. It's on Lindley in the, in the Valley and, uh, and I was so, it was that same night, and they had told me where to go. And so I got in my car, and I went over there, and I couldn't find it. It's just a little strip mall. I mean, anyone could find it, but I couldn't find it. And I remember calling on the telephone. They had a pay phone. This was way before cell phones and all that. And I was calling, and I, I was crying. I said, I can't find it. And I remember the lady said, honey, just turn your head and look up and sure enough the valley club is huge but i was looking for numbers you know i didn't see and anyway so that that was my first that was my first night and 
You know, it's it's funny because you're, you're just so narrow-minded when when you are. And uh, anyway, um, there was a woman there that had two years, and I and I know this sounds ridiculous, but I thought she was lying. I thought she was saying she had two years so that she would let me know that you could get two years and that I would come back. And I didn't know anything that was going on. I didn't understand what they were talking about. I just knew that they looked happy. You know, they looked like they didn't have that monkey on their back. And um, and I continued to go. And, and you know, every day I remember, they, and I share about this all the time, but it was so important to me because I didn't know how a sober person lived. And I certainly didn't know, you know, how to be a sober woman and to try to be graceful and and to learn how to live uh, you know on life's terms and so I would listen so intently on what sober people do like I was like forget all this these cliches just tell me what the hell you do like what do you do when you get home from work what does what does a sober person do and it was little things you know like getting a library card or washing your car one guy said i made a, i make a week out of washing my car i do it like one tire at a time and i remember thinking wow i have a car i could wash it i could that would take 2 hours you know but that's what it was about and i know it sounds so stupid right now and so and so simple but when you don't know what sober people do man i needed all the help i could get and um and I remember it was it was a few years into my sobriety, and and I, I had a girlfriend whose husband had a really bad problem with pot, and uh, so she said, you know, there's a group marijuana anonymous, and we went to the French quarters, and that's where I met Dave, Kay, and Carol, and um, Carol used to come high to that meeting, and but she'd keep coming back, you know, she'd come with her husband, and she'd be just high like uh, you know crazy high, but she kept coming back. <laughs> And and Dave was like, I don't know, 18, he was just a kid. And, you know, there was something, though, about Marijuana Anonymous. It was just, it was like finally being, you know, in the, it was like Goldilocks, you know, finding the right bed. I mean, I always knew I was, like, in the right house, but but it just felt so right. And, and I was so honored to, and lucky to be a part of those beginning days when we joined the three groups and, and all the stuff, you know, that went on in the beginning um, years of, of Marijuana Anonymous. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, I, I think recovery, as a woman in recovery, there's some stuff that, that is really personal. And, you know, this is my story, and I can only tell you from my point of view, but um, it wasn't always easy. You know, I went through bankruptcy sober because I had to really face a compulsive shopping addiction. And I still struggle with that sometimes. I mean, when I go into a major department store, you know, it's not just about buying the shoes. It's like the shoes, the dress, the earrings, you know, on and on. And, and But, you know, today I'm, like, much more aware of that. And and I have a husband who, you know, he's like, keeps me in check like that because we have a deal. You know, there's a certain amount of money that we can spend on our own, and anything over that, we got to talk to each other. So he really keeps me in check. But... There's, you know, it's just, it's not like you get sober and then everything's perfect. You know, the, this addiction that, that I have pops up in a lot of different ways, and, and it still does today. You know, I, I'm in another 12-step program um, about food, OA, and I'm telling you, that's a hard one to kick because you've got to eat three times a day. But this is MA, and I'm going to stick to MA because that's a whole other story. But, um, 
You know, as a woman in recovery, a lot of shit happened, especially in those beginning years. And it was a wonderful time, but it was also a time that, you know, that it's amazing that, that I stayed sober. You know, I was engaged to be married to a man who I loved dearly. And George B. was a part of that time, and, and he was married, happily married for 13 years. And I started to have all these weird feelings for him. And, and I was engaged to be married in a few months, and I just, I just didn't know what to do. And so I confronted him and told him my feelings. And, you know, today I know, I mean, it was fate that we ended up together and we've been happily married and it's been a lot of years. But today I know if I was in that same situation, I would tell another woman, I would tell my mother, I would tell anybody except the married man. Because that's not, it's not cool. It's not what a, what a, a woman's supposed to do, you know. You just don't do that. And, um, but I did and, you know, I ended up getting my way I guess I don't know it was it, <laughs> you know I'm I make light of it but you know we'll spend the rest of our lives making amends to the people we hurt over that and um you know just a side note though his ex-wife is happily married running a restaurant in Australia so you know <laughs> I guess it worked out good for her but there was some horrendous times and you know they say don't get involved with people in those first few months and there's a reason for that because it will just mess you up you know it's so easy to focus on your emotions and anyway in recovery so what's different you know I think the bottom line no matter what no matter what you walk through you know the death of a parent the death of a child the worst shit you could ever imagine if you don't drink or use no matter what you won't get high and that's the thing that I learned in recovery that is the number one rule. And for me, about four years ago, I really started, like, not just screwing around with prayer and meditation, but being diligent about it. And that completely changed my life. Because there's this great saying, you know, may the God in me see the God in you. And when I, when I do my prayer and meditation in the morning, I see that God so much clearer. And, uh, and when I don't, you know, I just don't have the patience that I normally do. You know, I work with kids and... and you know, I used to have a much better job, much higher paying. You know, right now I, I make uh, what, what is actually below the poverty line, but it is the, the happiest I've ever been because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I think with all of us, you know, when we get sober, there's a huge plan, way bigger than we could ever imagine. And eat, the plan for each of us, you know, has to do with the number one rule, which is in order for you to see that plan, you've got to be clear-headed. And I have no doubt that, you know, like we're the chosen people. We have, we have gotten the chance. There's so many people from those early days that I have, it's like they disappeared in thin air. And I hope they're sober somewhere. But, you know, the chances are that probably at least half of them are out there. At least half of them didn't make it. Probably more than that. And, um, you know, and that's the thing that we got to remember it's not that this is a struggle, not that this is a tough way of life, not that this, you know, living life on life's terms can sometimes be really hard. But the rewards are beyond, like, what I could ever imagine. And, you know, I remember my first sponsor, she said to me, I want you to, to write a list of things that, when you're first sober, write a list of things that you think that you want in your life. And I remember thinking, oh, that sounds stupid, but I will do it. So I made a list, and it was simple things like, you know, a real chair, you know, a, maybe a piece of furniture that was made of wood, and 
not cinder blocks and stuff like that. And and I remember standing in a store window at a furniture store. It was near the Hole in the Sky, which I went to, to quite a bit in the valley. And there was this there was this living room, you know, just a table for your living room. And I remember looking at it, thinking, Will I ever have something like that? You know. And today, George and I own a home, and you know, well, with the bank we own the home, and and we have. You know, I have a car to drive, and, and I look at what I thought would never happen, and it is so far beyond what, what would happen. And it's not just material stuff. It's, it's the way I feel inside, you know, to be able to have friends in recovery that, that I know would do anything for me. You know, Patricia and I are in a, a women's group that has been meeting since 1996, once a month, and, you know, these women are just incredible women. And every single one of them I met either in this program or through their husbands. And um, it's, you know, we come in here and we just don't know what is going to happen. We have no idea what this road will look like. I had no idea. I seriously thought my life was over. But I was willing to live a completely boring, dead life rather than having that monkey on my back every day. I just couldn't live like that anymore. And every day, you know, as I got to be a little bit closer to who I really am and who God made me to be, I started to see things opening up, starting to see things happen that I just thought, wow, what? This is incredible. You know, and I see that with people that come into the program. You know, people whose eyes are just a mess, and you start to see them later, and their eyes start clearing up. And, you know, and it, it, each of us work our own program. Each of us, you know, maybe it's a lot of meetings. Maybe it's keeping in contact with people. Maybe it's doing prayer and meditation, whatever it is. But it's got to be something. It's got to be something that you do on a regular basis. Because when I, when I went out after three years, I drank. It was just one afternoon, but, you know, it was a drink, and that's, that blew it all. But I had stopped doing the stuff I was doing. You know, I just kind of start to, started to feel normal again. And, you know, and I learned from that lesson. It was a long time ago. And I just, I'm just willing to, to do what it takes. And, you know, being married to, to an addict and an alcoholic is, you know, that keeps you in check as well. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things I'd love to say about George. But someone said, you know, you can speak, but you can't talk about that asshole husband of yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he told me that. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta love George. Anyway, I you know he he is a great guy, and and that's a gift of sobriety. Um, and that's not to say you come in here and find a mate, but it has happened quite a bit with people, and um, and it's a neat thing to see. You know, it's another neat thing to see when people come in and they realize maybe they're not in the right marriage, they're not in the right place. And they have what it takes to, to do, you know, do the steps to get out of it. And that's another thing. It's like you just, you get sober and you get real. You start to realize, you know what, the, the, the life we have here is really limited. And we don't know from one day to the next if we're going to be here. And so, you know, I got these 24 hours. And, you know, when I do my prayer and meditation every day, the first book I look at is the Almanac. Because the Almanac tells you exactly what day of the year it is. You know, how many days are left and how many hours of sunlight in that day. And since I started doing that, it really keeps me aware of what I got today. You know, what I got, don't waste it. Just don't waste the time. 
You know, in sobriety, it's hard to say this, but because I, you know, I want to appear like, you know, I'm almost 50, I, I'm a strong woman, I'm blah, blah, blah. But there's a part of me that's still a kid. And, and I think, okay, so when is that going to change? You know, when, when am I going to wake up and feel like my mom probably feels? And the bottom line is, you know what, I may not ever feel like that. But I can do the things that a woman does today that's a, you know, that's a proper and a graceful and an upstanding person and, and a woman. And um, the places that alcohol took me, particularly alcohol, I was anything but that. And the guys that I chose to hang around with today, and I'm not exaggerating, they are either dead, they're either sober, or they are so whacked out that, you know, you see them outside of 7-Eleven begging for money. There's nobody that's still partying at the level we did. Nobody. And, and that's a true testament to getting old and drinking and using. It just it doesn't work. Eventually, something's going to happen. And, you know, for us, what a gift. You know, in Patricia's workshop yesterday, she talked about getting power from God and from our own behavior. And when she said that, it totally struck me. Because it's like every time we do something good, it makes it easier to do it good again. And you just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And, you know, for the people that are really new, like in their first few months, I'll kid you not, a lot of a lot of being sober has to do with getting used to being sober. Like every day you get a little bit more used to it. Because at first you're like, who is this person? What is this world? What am I doing? And, you know, it it gets better. We get used to it. And then the miracles start to happen. But, you know, sometimes it's slow. Sometimes, you know, we have a lot of wreckage. And sometimes cleaning it up, you think, oh, my God, what have I done? I, I just got to use again because this isn't worth it. But you got you just hang in there. You hang in there. Um, I lost my dad in sobriety to cancer, pancreatic cancer. You know, hardest thing, of, really hard thing to walk through. But it was, on the other hand, it was the most beautiful time of my life, you know. And I'm telling you, if I was drinking or using, there is no way that I would have, I would have taken that approach. And um, it's just an un- unbelievable way of life. And I think that, that if you're here and you got a seat, you know, don't give it up. Don't give it up. In closing, I just... Um, I want to say something by Dr. Seuss. Okay. You'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know. You'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure when you step, step with care and great tact. And remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft and never mix your right foot with your left. And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. Ninety-eight and three-quarters percent guaranteed. So together we'll do this, though it's an uphill climb. It's a disease that can be cured 24 hours at a time. So if Dr. Seuss were here, he'd say we found the clue. The cat in the hat's got nothing over you. You're alive and free, no rip in your seams. Time to follow your heart. Now go conquer your dreams. Thank you.